Welcome to Coming Along Nicely. We're two brothers, Rich and Tim, who recently went back to school. Every week, we're discussing one thing we're learning in our classes, and we want to invite you to come along with us. Did you listen to Steely Dan? Is this some feeling from a shadowy past that's come back? It's complete, and that's why it's perfect. Does that kind of make sense? Mr. Hyde lets Dr. Jekyll do whatever he wants, but Dr. Jekyll is still the one who pays for it. Drum roll, please. So this week... I, uh, you're on spring break and I've got, I am. Yes. So fun times. I've got not a ton to bring either. This might be a, a short spring break edition. If so, that's fine. But we are talking about something in Spanish that I've already learned about in English and it kind of, you know, resurfaced it for me. So I thought, I thought this might be an interesting thing to bring up. Uh, so I think way back at the beginning of the podcast, this, this is why I'm bringing this is that in the very beginning, we were talking about when it comes to language, when it comes to speaking and writing, our, our minds have so much, so much of an ability to process like things we can hardly even, even fathom. And there are parts of writing where it's like a craft and an art and only certain people, you know, devote themselves to learning that. But really on the whole, like if you speak and communicate, there are the processes going on in your mind are like pretty incredible. Actually, I think I said exactly that. And I think that's exactly the soundbite in the intro. So I'm going to have to go back and compare that (laughs) and check. Yeah. (laughs) But this is one of those things. And so I thought I'd bring it up just to be it's kind of just like a cool, hey, look at what your mind does. And you're not even like elementary school kids do what I'm going to talk about. And they are not conscious of it at all. Like they don't know what they're doing, but it's just it's cool how our brains work. And so uh, that is drum roll, please. uh, (laughs) Aspects in the past tense. Here we go. So. Do you know anything like that? Does that ring any bell to you? Aspects. Wait, what? Okay, exactly. Prospects. So, prospects. So you know that there is past tense, obviously, and everybody listening knows yes. that. Uh, aspect. You may or may not know. Like you, I'd think nobody would be surprised. Or like if they came across that in a textbook an English textbook, but I'm sure that I, I bet that most people don't know exactly what that is. And so what it comes down to, we all know the past tense. And let me ask you, how do you make something past tense? How do you make a verb past tense? Um, I mean, the most default way I can think is you just add ED, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I (laughs) you're passing you turn I walk into I walked and yeah that's past tense but there's also I was walking which took place Mm -hmm. in the past there's I have walked there's I have been walking so those are all different variations that 
like I said, people learn how to use and they actually mean different things. Because if if you if you say I walked, you're probably telling a different story than if you're saying I was walking. Right. I mean, those kind of does that does that seem to resonate at all? No. Yeah. Even when you were going through, like, I have been walking. I was walking. I walked. I was thinking, like, I feel like using them in a sentence, I would naturally interpret those a little bit differently. Is there, like, an actual literary law that also has that same effect? Yeah. Well, I'll go through these and kind of talk about what they are and talk about where what the motivation would be to use different ones so uh there's four of them at least four that that i've got so the first is uh there's the simple aspect and that's the one that you said add ed to the end of it so you turn i walk and i walked i cook into i cooked so on and so forth and the simple is I mean, it's simple, so I don't know how much there is to explain with it. If you imagine if you imagine like a timeline and I'm going to do this for some of these again, this would be a great whiteboard episode. Um, If you imagine a timeline and there's the whole spectrum of time. And you say you you use as a simple you use a, a verb in the past tense in the simple aspect. So I walked that verb would be like a single little dot on the timeline. All you're saying is in the past, I walked. And so it's kind of simple. It's kind of matter of fact. That is what it is. Compare that to the progressive aspect. I'm, I'm pulling these from my head. So hopefully I'll, I'll double check it on my phone. Make sure I'm getting this right. Uh, the progressive is when it has a version of the verb be. So I was walking. I was cooking. On the timeline, that's a little different. So you've got just the the whole span of time. When you use the progressive aspect, it's in the past, but you're referring to a period of time. So it's not just a single dot on the timeline. It is there's a period of time where I was walking. So to kind of give some, you know, examples of different motivations you might use this for. If I say I studied just simple, you know, that might mean I studied earlier today might mean I studied yesterday. It kind of means I studied a it it was a single it was a one time occurrence in the past. I could even say I studied. Uh, I mean, like you could say I studied at Malone after high school. You know that is it's technically referring to a period of a few years, but you're using it as a one time event. Like yeah yeah I studied at Malone after high school. The, well, the technically I yeah. I don't know if that would apply to me anymore. That might apply to you because you studied in one chunk, but I'm now back at Malone. Yeah, well, that depends on what. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it depends on what you want to say and it depends on what you want to highlight. So, yeah, for me 
Or for both of us, we could say I studied at Lake High School. That technically mm-hmm. speaking, you know, we didn't just do it on one day. We did it over the course of, you know, years of our lives. But it's not wrong to say. And and if you're using it in the simple aspect, it is just pretty straightforward. It's pretty cut and dry. And it probably, probably doesn't have relation to other action that's taking place in the sentence. It's, it's, you know, simple is the best word for it. So that's what it is. Compare that to in the progressive tense. If you say I was studying at Malone. Now you're kind of like, if you start saying that I was studying at Malone, I'm waiting for what comes next. So mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. aspect kind of implies some action. You're talking about this period of time of a, maybe a couple hours where you were studying. And I'm expecting that either you left and you did something different or maybe I was studying at Malone and the ambulance showed up like you might be expecting an interruption. But it is more you're, you're talking about a state of being that you were in. And you're kind of implying that something else is going to happen. That's the progressive aspect, also known as continuous. Sometimes there is the third one, which is the perfect aspect. Mm. Perfect. Instead of having the support verb, like just to be technical, instead of having the support verb be, it has the support support verb have. So this is where you say. Instead of I have studied instead of or gosh, I said that wrong. Instead of I studied instead of I was studying. The perfect is when you say I have studied. So example, you know, I can say I have studied teaching English to speakers of other languages, people who, you know, are learning it as a second or third language. The perfect is similar to the continuous, but with the perfect, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like you put a bow on it. So when I say I have Mm -hmm. studied teaching English, I'm not really talking about, uh, you know, like an event in that example. I'm not really telling a story. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, you know, putting it out there. Like, Hey, I, as a person have accomplished X. And so it kind of puts a different spin on it. It kind of puts, like I said, you're kind of like wrapping a bow on, on it. It's a complete, it's a complete span of action. So back to the timeline, it, it does take place over the course of some period of time you know, similar to the progressive that takes place over a period of time. But the progressive is, you know, it's more progressive. It's more, it's more continual. The perfect is like, Hey, this was a thing that happened from this period to that period. It's complete. And that's why it's perfect. Does that kind of make sense? No. Yeah. It it seems to me like the progressive is like the stepping stone like, yes, you completed something past tense, but that action is leading to another action. Whereas the perfect 
is like the is like the end of the journey. You're not teeing up something else. It's almost like a, a doctor would tell you, "I have completed my medical training." Yeah, yeah. Like that information is supposed to be sufficient to establish some sort of reaction or give some sort of comfort. Doctor, that's an interesting example because if if a doctor told you. If you if you come if you come to in the hospital and the doctor told you, you know, I have the doctor tells you I inserted, you know, blank. Gosh, I'm really I'm really fumbling on this example. It's a good one if I can think of the right the right actions. Uh, what is something like a surgeon would do that's like kind of drastic? I okay. Here's here's um, one. Did, like, there's a bunch of inserting valves, like extra valves or or spacers valves for heart valves. That's a good one. That's a good one. So if a doctor says to you while you're laying on the on the bed, you're kind of like stitched up. If he says, "I inserted a valve in you," that is a little bit more unsettling. Then if he says, all right, sir, what we have done is we have inserted a valve in you. Like, do you do you kind of hear the difference in that? Mm hmm. Like, I've I don't know why. Yeah, but I hear it like I've stitched you up good versus. Uh, I I stitched you up. It's just a little bit more. You know, I'm having a hard time exactly putting my finger on the motivation. I stitch you up good. <laughs> yeah. If I wake up and a doctor says, yeah, I stitch you up good, I would be a little bit more nervous. I bet if if I had to place a bet, I would I would think that, you know, surgeons, doctors, people who work in very high stakes important roles i bet that they would use the the perfect tense more because it like i said it kind of enshrines what you're talking about in a bit of incompletion and so this is what i'm saying is that we are having a hard time exactly you know pinning down what the exact motivation is like we we can tell that one sentence is different than another, but then take that and consider the fact that like eight year olds do this too. you know, eight year olds are using the perfect tense and they can't explain it just like we can't explain it. That's just kind of cool to me. You know, the way our brains work, our language centers, and it just makes you sit back like the fact that we are confused about it, even when we are even when I am attempting to lay it out, it's a difficult thing to grasp, but it's a natural thing to do. So I think that's kind of cool. Hmm. The, the last I'll hit you with the last aspect. And that is, it's not the progressive. It's not the perfect. It's the progressive perfect. And so this one You've heard, and I think that this one gets into, it gets into a little bit more where it could be just sloppy speaking and sloppy writing, but it's when you combine the have 
support verb with the be support verb, be support verb. So an example is uh, I have been listening to a lot of music. I have been reading a novel. It's it's the combination of the two. And really, when you do it, you're wanting to. Well, I don't know if that's true, actually. I was going to say you want to combine the motivations of both. You're you're leaning on both of that support verbs. I know that much is true. And this this aspect really like a lot of them. The reason that we're using it is it implies it, it implies relationship to other actions. So when it comes down to it, there are different, you know, we can try to parse exactly the motivations for each each different aspect. But what is what's familiar about all of them is that the reason you use it is to show relation to other actions. That's at least one reason. So, hmm. You know, again, and this will maybe be like my last example that I'll wrap it up on. If I say if I tell you a story, I say I uh, I walked to the mailbox. I read a book. I cooked breakfast. I brushed my teeth. That is it's not much of a story. Like you can kind of figure out by those four things like, okay, are you talking about like some sort of morning, what your morning, but it's kind of confusing, you know, whereas if I take those things and I might spin them a different way, I might say, well, gosh, I forget what (laughs) I forget what the first one was. Uh, But if I say I was brushing my teeth and then I heard a sound and I walked to the I walk to the mailbox like that's a little bit different of a story taking place uh, with with some different examples, because, again, like a, a lot of this has to do with interruption. If I say if I say I read a book and my phone rang mm-hmm. that, again, you can kind of maybe pull a little bit of drama out of that. But if I was really trying to, like, play it up, I'd say, listen. I was reading a book and my phone rang and I thought, why is my phone ringing at three in the morning? You know, you're showing the relationship between I was in a state of reading and then something happened in the middle of that or jumping to oh, okay. like the, the perfect aspect. Oh, well, we do this all the time. The perfect aspect is when somebody is like, do you listen to? Uh, gosh, do you listen to Steely Dan? And you say, I have listened to Steely Dan. You're saying, yeah, in the past, I, I've had that experience, but it's a thing that's it's ended. So these are all different ways when it comes down to it. The thing, the two things to remember are these different aspects, even though they're all taking place in the past, they show the they show relationship to one another they show relationship between one verb or one action taking place and another and the second thing to remember is just that if you remember none of this it's still really cool that our brains do it so yeah brains just do it 
So essentially, the the last one you were talking about, I forget the the label of it, but it's essentially like, I guess I don't want to say this for every instance. It it can establish familiarity, maybe even expertise with a certain subject, but in a past tense format. Like I guess the example I think of is like Obi-Wan Kenobi in episode four being like, that's a name I haven't heard for a long, long time. Like, yeah, he like he's establishing I was that guy. But I currently am not that guy. I had all the skills of that guy. I had all the abilities of that guy. But I'm not that guy. Yeah. Yeah, that one. That That's what that support verb have does. Exactly. Is it puts it in the past. And when you combine that with. When you combine, you know, the have support and the be support. You kind of get this cool thing where if you say, you know, if you say I have been working out, it's both. It's like, hey, I have been doing this. So there's some there's some history to it, but I have been doing it. So it's also still going on. So, yeah, that's a cool one where it kind of. Is uh, it's saying something really specific there, which is like. This is a thing that has started in the past and continued into now. But yeah, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He I actually don't remember that quote. Which one is that in? Um, it's episode four. Uh Luke, you know, we get past the Tuscan Raider scene where he's like, rrr, 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 and then Obi-Wan Kenobi comes up and he's like rrr, and then which is actual sounds i think from the movie and then luke goes with him and he's like old ben wait do you know ben kenobi and then kenobi's like oh obi-wan kenobi that's a name i haven't heard for a long long time Uh, that is ringing a bell but i i mainly only watch episodes one through three so that's that's probably why yeah, you don't you like the newer stuff, you know? That old Star Wars stuff is so dusty and old. You uh yeah, you're a real Star Wars hipster. But what so you're on spring break, but do you have anything anything to bring to the fine people? Okay, so I was looking back at some old like textbooks to try to pull something out. I was going to talk a little bit about motivational interviewing, but then I started thinking about this book I picked up and started reading over spring break. Um, And uh, I'd much rather talk about that with you because I think it's a really interesting subject, especially for modern audiences. Um, I think last Christmas, uh, Christian, my roommate, Everyone loves Christian. He gave me a book that I've really been wanting to read, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, Yeah, and I'm only two chapters in, but I've listened to people talk about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I've, weirdly enough, thought about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because I think it is a, you know, it's an old book. I'm not exactly sure the date of when it was written. Um, 
but it's an old book that I think has a lot of modern lessons and, and, and can reflect a lot of modern problems um, back at us so that we can look at them. Because the book's, the book's about anonymity. Um, you know, you've got Dr. Jekyll, who, according to, you know, from what I've read so far, his friends and people around the town is this, he's a good man. He has a, a, you know, he's made mistakes in his youth. And that's one thing that several of the characters, you know, recount upon when they meet this Mr. Hyde is, is this some, is this some like dealing from a shadowy past that's come back? The the main character we're kind of following in the book so far is a lawyer who is in charge of Dr. Jekyll's will. And there's this clause in the will that if Dr. Jekyll is gone for more than three months, um, or if he dies, that Mr. Hyde is immediately to take over all of his estates. So everyone's like, here's this incredibly good man, good nature, good person, generous, saintly, who is mixed up with this devilish figure who's cool under being like criticized and called out like who what what exactly is going on that this man this good man and this this evil devil are so closely linked um and although i haven't finished the book i know that the overall theme is dr jekyll you know, at first delights and in the animidity of being Mr. Hyde. Um, you know, the thinking is I get to, I don't have to be this like good person. Um, I can, I can kind of turn that off and put on a mask and no one will know who I am and I can get away with anything I do because it doesn't reflect on Dr. Jekyll. It doesn't reflect on me, Dr. Jekyll. It reflects on this persona of Mr. Hyde. Um, but as he continues to take the potion that transforms him into Mr. Hyde, he finds that transforming back takes longer and longer and like longer. We're talking like weeks of him not being able to turn back into um Dr. Jekyll and then he finds from a personal perspective that his personality is changing and he is becoming and feeling more like Mr. Hyde all the time so the the outward reflection of what he looks like is also mirroring the inward reflection of as he is acting in a manner akin to Mr. Hyde even when he has his mask on it's he he is not able to draw the distinction in his own self between those two actions. He might be able to change his skin to be one or the other, but it has that effect on, you know, his soul and your neural pathways or whatever you want to call it, where now he just wants to act more like Mr. Hyde. So the transformation is a little bit more permanent, if that makes sense, which I think is just a really interesting thing to consider in a modern world where we can have a million accounts, you know, where 
you might be playing a game online where people can only hear your voice, but they don't know who you are. You might have an Instagram account or a Reddit account or Twitter account where you're just like a, a funny phrase as your username. People don't know who you are. You can say whatever you want. You know, people often make these meme accounts or these spam accounts to make fun of people because no one will ever know who I am. But at the same time, are, is that extra layer of anonymity keeping these things from from creeping under you know under our layer of skin and into the more permanent parts of who we are yeah yeah i've i've actually it's also a really short book really i've never read it yeah it's like pamphlet sized i that makes me want to read it i looked it up and it was like 1880s so hmm. late 19th century which yeah. So it's probably not it's probably not that hard to read, but it probably is a little bit uh I guess it's probably not as easy as, you know, obviously something that was written modern day for us to read, but yeah, I honestly I don't know what I thought the book was about. Like if you would have asked me, I definitely would not have thought that it had anything to do with yeah, anonymity, which also is a fun word to say. I think that it really is. I've thought about this a little bit moving, moving down here. Like it was just a cool adjustment to be, you know, in a new place, not just for the reasons of excitement, but also like, I think the thought just occurred to me one time, like somebody got, so my, my road is like a 55 mile per hour speed limit. And so sometimes, you know, this thing happens where like somebody behind me is wanting to go really fast and I'm slowing down to pull into my driveway. And it's like, listen, guy, it just, it is what it is. Like, I can't, I can't turn going 55 miles per hour. So I think somebody mm -hmm. got mad at me one time and just like honked as they went by. And it just occurred to me, like, whoever that is does not know me at all. You know, whereas we're from this town that's like a little bit smaller and there it's like the, the kind of thing where you're always running into somebody who, you know, you're always running into family like family members mm. that or someone who knows someone who knows you. Yeah. It's, it's much more of a like tight knit community and I'm not setting any of this up as like, this is the good way and this is the bad way, but it just was, it was cool to be anonymous and same thing at school. It was like, uh, compared to going like to church and stuff where again, grew up there, worked there, and then coming down here and it's like, I'm on this big campus, but it's like, I, you know, nobody does know me and nobody is going to come up and ask me for something. And there is no like expectation on me. So I do think I'm saying all of that to say, like, that is one side of it is like starting fresh, you know, and not having the weight of expectations, I guess. And I, maybe that's what the character in the book. Maybe that's what he would have tried to spin it as in a positive light. I don't know. But what you're getting at is that like, no, actually there's a lot darker side of it. 
because when you're free from expectations, you're also free from like good expectations. Like there are there are expect expectations that are good to be placed on us. Is that it at all? He he wants to be anonymous so that he can indulge himself and do whatever he wants. That's more of it, right? Yes. Yes. And as he does that, the reason he can be anonymous is because he's not Dr. Jekyll. He's Mr. Hyde. And I think he thinks to himself, I can keep these separated. I can keep these two things separate. But ironically enough, the the first interactions we have with Mr. Hyde is someone telling the story of late at night. They see this hulking juggernaut of a figure walking quickly down a road and the other coming around the corner where the juggernaut can't see it, but this observer can is the small child and they collide going around the corner and the juggernaut berates the girl. Maybe, maybe that gives her like a kick or something and then walks away with no remorse. And that's like, obviously not good. Like that's kind of like really evil behavior. Yeah. And as someone who knows the story, I think as all of us as modern readers, we know that that's Dr. Jekyll. Like technically there is no Mr. Hyde. It, everything done is Dr. Jekyll. The potion does not. Like that's the real thing about the story too. The potion is not making Dr. Jekyll into some raving lunatic. It is just changing his body. Mm. So like all actions are actions of Dr. Jekyll. And when this when this man goes and grabs, you know, Mr. Hyde and brings him back to where this family has gathered and they're checking on the girl and the girl's fine. And just very quickly, calmly collected. Um, And actually, I think he even said that Dr. Or Mr. Hyde had this balance between um, timidity and like boiling, boiling angry assurance. He kind of ping ponged between these two. Um, but he was he was just also very cool as all these criticisms were being thrown at him. And why is he cool? Because he knows. He does not care what happens to Mr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde is a persona. Dr. Jekyll's safe. Ironically enough, though, Mr. Hyde, if you can hear my air quotations, is kind of like, what will it take for this to go away? Like, do you want money? How how much? They get the price to 100 pounds. He takes them to where Mr. Hyde lives, and he brings out a check written by Dr. Jekyll. And the guy's like, I know Dr. Jekyll. This has to be a forgery. Like, in the morning, we'll go and we'll all cash the check together and I'll, you know, prove that this is wrong. But the check obviously isn't a forgery. And so it's kind of one of those things of, sure, Mr. Hyde lets Dr. Jekyll do whatever he wants. But Dr. Jekyll is still the one who pays for it, both both in this instance, financially um, he actually is writing the checks, but also like internally, because 
Dr. Jekyll is the one doing these actions and these actions have an effect on the person of Dr. Jekyll. They don't, you know, they don't leave his conscience when he goes back to his original body. Yeah, he pays the price. He pays the price, but he thinks it's free. And that's isn't that kind of animidity like in the modern era? Like what I say online under my burner account doesn't stick to me as a person. But when I – I might not be stomping a child in the street, but when I stomp that person online and just demonize them, demoralize them, make them look stupid, make their life miserable, you know, that's me leaving them stomping in the street. And even if people get mad at me and catch me, that's still not me, right? But then isn't it a little bit easier after you do that to do it in your day-to-day life too? It, it starts off as just an anonymous anonymity. This is just me blowing off some steam. It's not going to enter my real life. I do it online because I would never do it in real life. But then it kind of starts to creep into real life. You don't pay the price online. So you think maybe I can get away with it in person too. And next thing you know, everyone's acting a fool. Well, it's – yeah, it's interesting because uh, I know that you're not talking about like – you're talking about you pay the price in your soul and like there's there's a part of you that you lose. But even if you just keep focused on public persona – there's a huge difference. Like there's been times where, you know, a celebrity will have like a public meltdown, you know, just like a real meltdown moment and it's on TMZ and whatever. But people kind of have a way of forgiving, you know, even if you don't forget and even if that person still gets clowned on like years later. But there is an aspect of forgiveness more so then sometimes you hear exactly what you're talking about, where it's like a public figure made an account, made a fake, you know, burner and was like attacking people who were saying mean things about them. And there's kind of just and then it comes out, you know, that it comes out like, oh, this account was t- tied to I don't want to say any names because uh, I'm just pulling them out of my head. But, yeah, there's really, like, no returning from that. Like, that's just a bad look. It's like you took the time to make an email address, to make a fake account, to to do that. It kind of just shows, like, a darker, a darker side than if you were at least brave enough to, you know, say it like with your own name and your own face attached. And then, like I said, a lot of times, you know, people's memories are short. They, they get over stuff, they forgive, but yeah, there is a difference between like when, when you intentionally, when somebody like goes out of their way to do that, to be anonymous, Mm -hmm. to try to get some sort of, uh, yeah, I I don't know what the word would be. Some sort of cover. Well, to your to your example as well, I think when we see let's go with a celebrity example, when we see certain celebrities get mad, 
you know, and they just they are speaking from their own name, their own voice as themselves. Or let's even say us personally. If I'm mad and I'm saying something, I'm still me and there's still some amount of filter. I'm saying what's making me upset, why it's making me upset. I'm getting angry. But there's still the filter of like, hey, I'm myself, even if you're just going like irate, you know? Um, but to your point, as soon as I take that same amount of anger, frustration, whatever, and put it in another in another body, in an animity thing, in a like no one's going to catch me, that then unleashes the real dark, vile stuff that I would never say, you know? Yeah, and it, it, it unleashes it then. That's why uh, trash talk when you're playing basketball at the park and, you know, Call of Duty trash talk is so different. Because in one, these people are seeing your face and know who you are. But in the other one, you can scream whatever at the other person. Terrible stuff. You would never say. Um, because, you know, no, one, no one's going to ever know it was you, right? But the more you say it, the more it becomes a thing you would say while you're playing basketball. Yeah, and I don't think that it is – like it doesn't have to be 100% binary either where like you you're fully anonymous even just being online with your real with your real name and face you still feel a little bit more like unencumbered to say things than you would in person so it is somewhat of like True. a spectrum that way and that is where i always think it's interesting when when you know like there's the whole like group of very online people who who from time to time will like call for people to you know if you have a if you have this political difference with any of your friends and family like you need to cut them off mm. and that that happened again this week so it's like fresh in my mind but it's it's like i I mean, maybe if you were in a in. So what am I trying to say? So online on Twitter, people will be like, you need to cut these people off and you're only being a coward because you're afraid of what they're going to say to you when you're in a room together. And it's like, no, like do that. Like, think about how you would respond if you were in the same room together, because that's probably the most to your point. That's probably the most human way to to do it you know even if you have to say something hard like to kind of place yourself in that that frame in that mindset of how would i say this like if i was speaking face to face with that person i mean all of our online conversations would be way healthier if we put ourselves there so the solution isn't to live in the real world as if you are online the solution is to live online as if you were in the real world more so you know, like it's not those things you're saying where you naturally do things a little bit different in person. That is not like a flaw. That's probably a strength. No, it's a strength because like I think to your point too, the conversations we would have, those tough conversations, whether they be political or whatever, if we're having them with the thinking of 
this is a person I'm going to see. And that's a, a thing worth preserving. It might taper how you say it, but it might make how you say it even more impactful because you're not letting this vile little thing creep out and take over and make people, people are repulsed by Mr. Hyde. People see him and instinctively do not want anything to do with him. He's not winning awards for charisma. And when we let the Mr. Hyde persona take over and just let it rip, we're not making allies. You know, we're, we're burning bridges. It's much better to be a little bit more political and still say what you mean, but say it in a way that preserves your Jekyll, you know? Yeah. Preserves your whole face, preserves the relationship, because you're going to say it in a way that hopefully will carry the weight of your meeting, but also um, doesn't repulse people. And then technically lose people to your way of thinking or at least closes the door to their relationship with you, which could be a way of changing their thinking, which is, I'm assuming, important. Hey, everyone. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, we host this episode and all of our episodes over at our Substack, Coming Along Nicely. And Tim also does some writing over there as well. It, I'm a little biased, but it's pretty great. You can find him at As It Were or at nicely.substack.com. We'll see you guys in the next one.